Welcome to another edition of Consensus Unreality. Happy New Year. 2024. That's right. We're out of the uh, Discordian year. We made it year. another year. Oh, man. Yeah, nothing. It kind of was a weird year. It was a weird year for sure. Um, a lot of ufologics last year. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, I don't yeah. know if there were uh, ufologics in the in the Kenneth Grantian sense that we'll be talking about tonight. It was more like ufological, no, it like ufological content, boring, dumb stuff. And but it was a big year for UFOs, wasn't it? I wonder if this year will be. This year appears to so far be a big year for uh, um, subterranean happenings. Mm, uh, mm. Right, right, yeah. right. Hollow Earth is making a comeback. Well, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> um, Ufologics, yeah, I thought... So I guess we're both kind of looking through Outer Gateways by Kenneth Grant. Um, That's true. And, and that uh, is a weird book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm liking it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, we should start with a little intro here uh yes happy new year um this is our first episode of 2024 and we are gathered that what i gathered that from you know who's they oh you know the listener um okay first episode of the year i guess actually we had a pretty productive 2023 Mm -hmm. especially towards the tail end um we got our interview game back on um, yeah. we are currently making plans to be even more productive in 2024. So if you're not a Patreon member, join up for just $5 a month, um, gain access to our full episode archive, um, written content, tons of exclusive episodes, which we regularly release. Um, you'll get extended cuts on the interviews and we're looking towards um, adding even more stuff um, as this year progresses. Um, we just pooled some topic suggestions from our second tier, uh, which is $10 a month. So check that out at patreon.com slash consensus reality. It's where we do most of our business. Um, there's also some e- exclusive merchandise, discounted merch, all kinds of stuff. Over and the there. Discord. And the Discord server. Absolutely. That's a... Big, big draw for the Patreon, I think. It's pretty fun. Uh, I spend a lot of time on there <laughs> just uh, <laughs> talking to people. It's kind of like a cool little place to hang out. Um, and I finally kind of understand the app. Um, so it's kind of fun to kind of add new channels and, you know, do weird little things. Um, and that kind of is like where you can check out our sort of behind the scenes thought processes, kind of where the show is headed, uh, that kind of thing. So that's, you know, if you like seeing the sausage being made. (laughs) Nice. Alluring uh, analogy there. Um, It's a classic analogy. Okay, (laughs) how about the the croissant being made? Yeah, yeah, if you want to see the euphonauts making the pancakes. um, Ah, that's good. Yeah. Um, also there's, there's a cool channel on there where people talk about their strange synchronous events and, and things like that. And we'll be talking about some Jungian synchronicity stuff tonight as well. 
Um, so yeah, hop on there, check that out. Um, this episode will probably have a public portion and then we will carry on on the back end for a bit, which will be a Patreon exclusive. Um, so let's get into the episode, Ben. Uh, a lot went into this one. <laughs> I think it's kind of going to be all over the place in the way that we traditionally love to do. Yeah. Um, let's we talk about some of the break. things Yeah, we looked at. Um, let's see. As far as I'm concerned, the big thing I've been looking at is uh, Lewis Hyde's Trickster Makes This World, which is... A book I like kind of, you know, one of those books I kind of read like a while ago when I was first getting into stuff because it was often mentioned as uh, like one of the classics in the field of like sort of applying mythology to contemporary life. And so now I'm really reading it straight through and it's really fascinating. It's not like a trickster book in the way that like George P. Hansen's book is or, or the kind of trickster as as we kind of talk about it often on the show as a thing that manifests in the paranormal or like kind of like almost as intelligence, it's very much about the trickster as a mythological figure that appears and what those particular myths say and how they might impact the generation of culture. His thesis is that like the trickster is kind of what produces change in culture and like sort of pivots, especially in art and uh, yeah, generally like culture as a as a term referring to like the arts and sort of uh, what's I guess culture is the word that I'm looking for mm. the, the things about a society that are specific to it I guess um, and so that was the the first major thing I've been looking at um, also it's been a pretty serious season of me like gathering bizarre UFO books some of which for the shop uh, to sell, uh, that is Apport used books, and uh, some of which are going into the old personal collection. I've just been looking at this crazy, it's a Borderland Sciences publication, which is this really excellent uh, California-based 14 or kind of paranormal publisher, kind of all throughout the second half of the 20th century, as far as I know, but it's called M.K. Jessup, The Allende Letters and hmm. Gravity. And it is bizarre. And I was just looking at it before. And I immediately messaged, when I found this, I immediately messaged um, uh, a patron and friend of ours, a uh, friend of the pod, we could say maybe, uh, Nick, uh, whose magazine is From Great Heights. He's on Instagram. He's a really dedicated sort of ufo collector and sleuth but he's kind of been piecing this whole carl allen uh philadelphia experiment carlos allende this whole kind of thing he's been really working on it and so that in this book this uh borderland sciences book I, I came across these marginal notes uh which i so he uh nick he sent me a uh comparison of of carl allen's uh handwriting and but there's this blue ink notation in the margins here i my gut said it's not him but it's really bizarre um so at the bottom of page 47 of this book the quote says and i think it's <laughs> it's supposed to be written from 
the perspective of Jessup, mm. it says, um, so he writes a one, like sort of a, a footnote after the phrase, a most beautiful country then met my view. This is about a person who claims to have landed on Venus. And so the, the footnote that this person hand wrote in says, I must, I must admit it was a bit warm, about 900 degrees Fahrenheit. The atmosphere a bit crushing and the sulfuric acid CO2 atmosphere, much like my last breaths on earth. <laughs> so I, I think he's like pretending to be like the ghost of, of Morris Jessup right, right. who died of inhalation. Um, and so that's like a, a kind of a scary little thing to have in the margins. And the book is full of like, mostly just like lines in the margins, highlighting certain phrases, but and he writes archons in, in the uh in the periphery of one Interesting. the margin. So there's like all of these it's two major weird little notations. The handwriting is like I'm not a handwriting analyst. I would say that I would be surprised if it was uh Carl Allen who wrote these. But on the other hand, I don't know. It's uh, a really strange little thing. And, and so I've been getting these from a eBay dealer and also stumbled upon a few other things, an uncorrected proof of the Jessup dimension. I think mm. someone like liquidated a UFO archive and this sort of antiques dealer got, got the archive. And so it's been... Yeah, some really strange things have passed through my hands over the last few months, including, and I, I really just found out about these weird marginal notes in this. Um, I'll send you a picture of it. Maybe I'll post it in the Discord too. Yeah, it's but, really, there's a really funny sync too, as I posted in the Discord earlier. Um, just a small image from my notes for this episode. And uh, I was doing some... Um, image generation with that Bing AI um, image yeah. generator. And one of the images, the first image that I have um, in my notes is a jester um, with his hands on the world. And you just mentioned yeah. the book Trickster Makes This World, which is just kind of a funny little un oh, unconnected sink there that like, because our new... <laughs> Kind of one of the things we've been kicking around is um, bringing some different things to the episode and not fully disclosing everything um, that we've been looking at and just kind of seeing where the conversation goes. But yeah, that's a really kind of funny sink there, especially since that's the first thing you brought up and it's the first thing on my notes. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's like, uh, it fits into the, the puzzle, whatever, you know, like the, the jigsaw of the episode. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So uh, I guess I, I'll mention a couple of the things um, that I've been looking at. And um, obviously, we'll get more into depth about these things. Um, but that reminds me of a, th um, a phrase that comes up a lot in uh, John Keel's uh, Operation Trojan Horse, um, the seminal uh, ufological study um, that he released. Um, and one of the things he mentions often in that book is victims of the artifact. Um, so he's kind of talking about the trans 
transmogrification of strange artifacts from ufological events um, mm. and and kind of the trickstery elements of them. Um, one of those being the, the Simonton event where um, the euphonauts made pancakes, um, which yeah. one of them ended up in the hands of J. Allen Hynek. And uh, <laughs> Simonton, I think, donated the other one to a res- uh, UFO researcher. And they were kind of just these weird, flat, cornstarchy pancakes. Um, I think we'll talk a little bit more about that specific case later, too, and how it relates to some things. Um, but the reason I actually arrived at um, going through Operation Trojan Horse again is because um, I saw something with Gary Nolan, who is a big figure in the American Cosmic Nexus. Um, he is one of the main uh, studies, uh, characters of study in that book. Um, and he's referred to as a, a pseudonym in that novel. I think he's James, right? James is his um, pseudonym at the time, and then it came out that he it, he mm. he um, you know disclosed his his, his uh, actual name and stuff like that, and now he's involved in yeah. this Soul Foundation, um, yeah, which is this new think tank for UAP related phenomena that David Grush is involved in, and some other characters, um, Jake Stratton. Jake Stratton, right, is the uh, skinwalkers at the Pentagon chap. We always, it's funny, we can like never remember yeah. his name. It's almost this like someone is object. There's Lukatsky is one of them too. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, the names are tough. With For some reason they're like, <laughs> yeah, they're like redacted. Some of them aren't, just aren't very like, like sticky, you know, they just like kind of like yeah. are vap- vaporous. Um, names yeah. maybe that's a part of it too which kind of strangely relates to elements of what's talked about in operation trojan horse um but yeah i guess uh it's it's crazy because gary nolan is like this biomedical developer um and he recommends operation trojan horse um that it be read and i found this to be strange um a weird anecdote of the way the conversation is taking shape these days. Um, so yeah, I looked into that, but I was before that I was reading outer gateways, um, by Kenneth Grant, which is basically his, you know, taking the Typhonian current type of writings that are extended in his trilogies and this this book specifically is about how it relates to the ufological um and what he says in there a lot is ufologics which is like kind of a term for the weird um emanations of ufo related events and phenomena um yeah i think he's kind of like uh portmanteauing it with with magic and like it's kind of like this He's, he's trying to kind of claim ufology as like a something that falls under the wings of uh, his brand of what, whatever Typhonian sort of magic and, and the, the Crowley tradition through Grant is like he's and he's very good at this thing where he 
absorbs other things that are happening in culture, the way he absorbs Lovecraft and sort of transforms Lovecraft into something that fits in perfectly with Crowley. And then UFOs as something that fits in with Lovecraft with Crowley. Like he kind of is like this, uh, this sort of blob <laughs> that, that uh, absorbs these different, uh, these different currents, I guess you would call them. Mm-hmm. And it makes for such fascinating reading. Yeah. Especially this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, well, he's like an al he's kind of a, an alchemist of, of literature. And I mean that he, yeah, yeah. he takes things, um, that to many exist in fiction or history or anthropology and he transmutes them into this like all encompassing grimoire that, uh, relates to, you know, what he views as the Typhonian current, um, or double current, I suppose. But there's, it's a, yeah. it's actually a, uh, some of his books are, are criticized for their lack of lucidity. Um, but this one, I feel like, actually brings up some really interesting things. Um, and there's some really interesting wordplay too. Where it, if you kind of look at yeah. certain sentences, they almost have like a. Um, you know, that James Joyce effect of, of being like a metascript um, or a hypertext. Yeah, he has a he has a really unique style. And I feel like, of course, I'm going to say this, but sometimes he does kind of remind me of like Mazer's story, like with the kinds of the way he'll make these logical leaps that are almost alien to like anyone but him, but then which kind of like, his whole argument hinges upon like the, I don't, yeah. Uh, just these very subtle things that he kind of hangs his hat on, um, which I am impressed by as, you know, just, I, I love that kind of stuff. So it doesn't bother me, but I can see why people would read this and be like, this is like your argument. You're, you're saying that because this word is this number, like in gematria or something like, you know, um, which, yeah, I mean, it produced like a body of work that is unique. So, yeah. Sing- singular almost. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but there, I, f- I find a new, um, a new way of looking at Grant's stuff and how it relates to a lot of what Carl Jung was, was writing about and doing um, kind of makes a lot of it um, stand on a little bit more ground, I suppose. Um, and there's a, there's an interesting conjunction there too, with the, um, the kind of active imaginal work that Jung was doing in composing the, um, black books that would become the, the red book and, um, a few of the other, um, posthumous releases, um, I think seven sermons to the dead is included in that as well. Um, but this, I think he called it, um, his nocturnal workings, um, in that it related to this like hypnagogic, um, semi dream state. Um, but yeah, there's this interesting concept there of, of what Jung called the psychoid. And I think this was something he was developing, Later uh, in his work, um, considering yeah. um, 
that which cannot be directly perceived or represented. Um, mm. So in, in this way, the archetype is almost like um, the refracting image on a pond and the psychoid is the actual image that is being reflected upon the pond. Um, the psychoid stuff is so confused. I think uh, it's even confusing to Jungians. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, that, yeah. I was looking at it, and it seems like it's uh, where the mind sort of slowly fades into the body. So like where psyche meets soma is kind of how I was beginning to understand it. It's And it sort of is in this sort of cast of these archetypes that he came up with, but it's like the least um, like fashionable one kind of like for people to talk about because it's so, but it's, yeah, it's so hard to talk about. It's this kind of, it's yeah, it's straight up. It's metaphysical, uh, which like is right. the reason it wasn't as well adopted with a lot of, you know, straightforward Jungians if they're, are them, I guess, but they, you know, kind of took more to like more tactile things like the archetype and, uh, some of the other terms, the collective unconscious, obviously. Um, yeah. But I think like, I always forget that there's this, one of the big parts about archetypes is that you're not like able to ever truly experience them. Like that they're, they're only, things that are expressed through your life kind of um they're these weird tension yeah. objects that are expressed through your actions and through the larger shape of your life and i feel like we kind of think of archetypes as these almost possessing thing like, like we're possessed by an archetype as if it's like a, an entity that has a will um and i don't know if that's as far as what I, you know from what i can tell i don't know if that's what young thought of them as as uh i just feel like it's very common for people to talk about like you're really embodying the the trickster archetype right mm -hmm. now when it's not so much yeah i don't know it's looking into this psychoid thing it kind of reintroduced me to the the way that the archetype conversation is way more subtle and nuanced than most interpretations that are popular mm -hmm. and like ones that I kind of, you know, look at that. Yeah. It's, it's more of a subtle thing than that, I guess. Well, for him, I think um, the archetype is the vessel in which the, the psychoid inhabits and the psychoid is kind of this like essential experience. Um, and it, it has that element of being, a kind of um, abyssal, abyssal threshold, or these kind of like dwellers on the threshold that we talk about, like the um, the archetype of the Abraxian, or some of the more complex things in Gnosticism, like that, are kind of unclear, but like the bar below and these states where um, you know different levels of of uh, consciousness or energy are being, you know transitioned into other levels um so i think the, the psychoid is kind of where uh the collective and the self um have this uh this crossing of the the abyss or something like that um 
which is really, I think it, considering all of this uh, with ufologics, um, it's pretty fun. And it's, it's one of those viewpoints that we can look at the phenomena and the, the stories, um, that are talked about in something like operation Trojan horse. I also have in front of me here, flying saucer occupants, just a, a really great little paperback by, uh, Coral and Jim Lorenzen. And oh, yeah. it's just all case studies of um, strange euphonaut encounters. Um, yeah, that's a great book. I love that book. Yeah, for sure. So it's like, yeah, you just, I love humanoid and like, you know, encounter tales from that era. Before we move on, I think it was weird when you mentioned you were kind of looking into this young stuff because I've been very slowly paging through. Uh, Peter Kingsley's book, Catafalque, which is his book subtitled Carl Jung and the End of Humanity. I got it for Christmas and uh, it's um, kind of a, he's, uh, yeah, <laughs> he's sort of this weird combination of mystic and scholar that is sort of unique. Um, He's very controversial among Jungians for this book They because he's kind of attacking them the whole book, saying that, he, you know, Jung was misinterpreted for forever and, you know, that this is the true interpretation of Jung. And it's a, like this very personal book, too. So it's kind of a strange read, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's a little bit like Western civilization has fallen kind of stuff, which mm. I find a little you know, heavy handed sometimes, but I, I still think it's a, it's an interesting look at, at young. Yeah. Is it kind of like that Adam Curtis type of talk about, you know, the post truth society, like coinciding with, uh, not really kind of collapsing it's, civilization. I mean, yeah, that's in it, but it's much more mystical and, like his, I think one of his books before this was about, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but one of the great Sufi scholars. So he's kind of coming from this very personal, like mystical kind of angle, as opposed to a more political historical angle. Uh, and I think he's talking about that there's a tradition that we've lost kind of in, in these things. And that Jung, Jung was kind of a representative of this sort of, mystical current that kind of stuff but it's a big book it's like a, the paperback is like 900 pages mm. yeah i i don't know there i feel like there's that whole passport to magonia thing kind of fits this psychoidal lens a lot as well um because you kind of have this changing this constantly changing face of the phenomena right you have like fairy lore and the ecstatic uh, religious experiences from history um that have kind of been with us since you know the uh the dawn of man or the birth of civilization or i don't know as far back as our recorded history goes right um yeah and it's strange because in the past even in the past hundred years, like Keel talks about in uh, Operation Trojan Horse, um, the airship encounters in the late 1800s, the the airship wave, which I think some people kind of um, reduce to yellow journalism 
and stuff. But um, apparently there was, you know, a ton of sightings in different places being reported. Um, and, you know, by people, I don't know, like, th- does this even matter? But it was reported by people like within the United States government and stuff like that, like people that were supposed yeah. to, or that we at least at one time looked at as being, you know, rational, sound, sound-minded people who wouldn't jeopardize their lives and careers yeah. <laughs> to say something absurd. I think th- things have kind of shifted on that. But things have changed. It's it's interesting how he talks about it though, because there's this paradigm of you know, uh, the phenomena interacting with humans under the guise of this religious control system for you know a very long time. And different control ed- system. Sure, that's the word of the day. Is it? Yeah. Rest in peace, uh, Pee Wee Herman. Word of the day. Nice. You got a Herman Slickback going on right now. Uh, viewers can't <laughs> see that, but yeah. Uh, now they're just gonna um, imagine you in like a Pee Wee Herman suit on a riding around on a little little bicycle, but um. Yeah, I would do that. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, I don't know. Well, it's it's just because it's funny that like this idea that um, you have this, you know, this uh, the face of this phenomena for so long being these religious ecstatic things, whether it be angels and demons, and and in some places fairies. Um, uh, but then it kind of test kits this new. Um, outer space lens with the airships thing and it's kind of like yeah steamy with ink like there's all these sightings that keel writes about um that you know probably coming from like fort charles fort and things like that just kind of weird um newspaper periodical things of the late 1800s of um ships with flying ships with anchors and things like that that doesn't make any sense at all yeah you know so there's this like absurdity that's like test kitting this new face and then it kind of like it tweaks it a little bit where it comes back as like the flying saucer and now we kind of even have it as more of like this um even like our, the futurism of it is is shifting more to like that Magritte orb you know of of the the tic tac and the yeah. sleekness of the the hyper object, you know, that, that changing phasing silver. And it's kind of, uh, I mean, I feel like we've talked about this so many times on on the show, but it's feeding back into what what people fake about it. It's, uh, it takes on some of the characteristics of the hoaxes that claim to be it sort of. And then there's the way that light plays into it. There's always this talk of light, which I, I'm always kind of fascinated by this, this idea that they, they are lights, like people still call them lights in the sky or orbs sometimes even, which kind of links it into like the ghost phenomenon. So there's this weird uh, gray area between these different types of paranormal encounters where on the one hand, people are seeing objects in the sky that seem to be metal or they seem to be, you know, going back to the airships, they're, they're objects that seem to be vessels constructed for the purpose of, of travel. Whereas sometimes they're like not really necessarily even objects. They're well, you know, 
now being described as phenomena, like, and I guess they were even going back to APRO, going back to Jim and Coral, uh, Lorenzen, uh, Aerial Phenomenon Research mm-hmm. Office. So I guess it it conjures this idea of like, what's what's an object? What's a oh my god? That's what's so a phenomenon. I didn't even. I just made the connection too that those letters from Young were just released to APRO and he's writing to Coral. <laughs> yeah. He like mistakes Coral as a as a gentleman at first and then corrects right. it in one of the other that's dude, that's an even funnier sink, but yeah. Yeah, Young uh, is walking around. And I you know, I don't want to discount obviously like there's the, you know, the political conspiracy element of this um that Sure. You know, it's not it's not to say that we we don't obviously recognize that. I think that we just talk about the phenomena from a lot of we we study different lenses to look at the the thing, I guess. Um, so yeah, obviously that you know whatever is happening is is kind of used and manipulated for different objectives by just you know people all of the time and and the hoaxing and stuff as well. But it's interesting in Operation Trojan Horse, um, Keel kind of takes the opinion that you know the deception is is on the behalf of the phenomena and not really on the behalf right. of any kind of like power conglomerate of of people that's kind of where uh Streber ends up in that new book them too like that the them the visitors the the phenomenon i guess that itself is almost using government uh, secret projects or psyops from like an even higher level. So it's like these, it's this weird uh, back and forth puppet master thing where it's like every time you look at who's holding the strings of the UFO above them is, uh, you know, the same thing holding the strings again. So it's, you know, intelligence operations but then above that is the aliens but then above that's intelligence operations and then above that's the aliens again and i guess it's just going to keep going like that so yeah i think that i'm perfectly comfortable talking about it as a metaphysical or spiritual or unknown uh event as much as i'm comfortable talking about it as which it very much is like a way to manipulate uh, or I guess program the cultural, uh, the scope of what's possible within a culture, I think is what it does. It's setting certain bounds in in what our culture is able to imagine is I think one of its functions. Um, Mm. Yeah. We we, uh, hit record on the uh, zoom just to back up there, by the way. Are you not recording? No, I am. I just recording yeah. in progress. Got it. Yeah. Um, feed, uh, feeding the feeding the AI here, but yeah, I mean, and you mentioned the light thing too. Um, this is something that Keel talks about in Operation Trojan Horse, but he also expands upon in the Eighth Tower, um, and it's really this this idea that. Um, the phenomena is, is, you know, 
coming from a higher dimension and that the way that it takes shape is the transition into the lower dimension through the manipulation of light. And there's this whole thing with the seven lights, uh, you know, Roy G. Biv and the seven sisters of the Pleiades being this Mm. constant current in religions. You have the importance of the number seven in, you know, Judeo Christian traditions. Um, and even there's also the light code stuff of um, a lot of current channelers. Um, uh, like downloads? Yes, yes. And that's, it's kind of an interesting thing too, because, um, you know, a lot of this had me revisiting thoughts about Encounters, the Diana Pasolka book that came out recently yeah. that we talked about just a couple episodes ago. Um, and if you, if you're, you know, if Gary Nolan is somebody who I think he's in, interacted or, or cl- has um, possibly claimed to have interacted with the phenomena for his entire life and has um, studied other people who have interacted with the phenomena their entire lives. If he's recommending Operation Trojan Horse, which you know po- posits that there is this agenda behind the trickster absurdity of you know, ufological encounters, then what does that mean for, you know, these people that are mentioned in encounters and other people that are mentioned in American cosmic who exist within both the military industrial complex and the intelligence community who are apparently receiving downloads from non-human intelligence? Um, Do those downloads then, you know, in some abstract way feed some kind of uh, ultimate objective or even, you know, uh, an invasion, <laughs> an invasion that's supposed to take a very long time. Yeah. So that's kind of what Keel talks about is that ultimately this could be some kind of like quiet invasion that doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen on the White House lawn, but it it's supposed to occur over, you know, a very long period of time that maybe is not a long period of time for the, the phenomena that is, that is interacting. This kind of made me just think of something. Um, the way, so yeah, I've been reading this trickster makes this world and I've been trying to think about the UFO thing as in some way a manifestation of some mythological trickster thing in some way at least that's part of it maybe and that's not an uncommon thought you know among certain people but uh, reading this book and and looking at these trickster myths there's this aspect of the trickster that is uh foolish like the trickster is at the same as at once clever like very clever but then also very easily overcome by like lust or um just inclined to do stupid things for the sake of pride or or just like to to flout the rules or something or i don't know if that's the right word but to to sort of just to show that he doesn't have to do something just because someone says that he should and so there's this i mean you know wily coyote is very much based on the coyote myths of Mm. uh the native peoples, coyote, the trickster. And so there, you know, obviously there's a foolishness about that. Um, 
but so the ufo is trickster i feel like where is the foolishness in like the ufo thing where is the jester-ish aspect of the ufo where is the propensity to like fail because it was sort of tricked by its own hubris and i feel like that might be a weirdly an explanation or like a solution to the problem of why would they fly here and then crash like yeah, uh, yeah the whole yeah. like the, the ufo crash thing it's like well the the trickster seeds culture throughout uh you know by his mistakes he's often used as the the, the reasoning behind certain aspects of human culture or certain limitations placed on humanity um, because of like a mistake he made or like something he did. And so it's kind of interesting to think of the like hubris of, of the euphonauts like crashing their UFO here, seeding some sort of technology in this way that fits very nicely with the, the trickster um stories you know yeah yeah because that's that's the point that's like brought up so often with the david Grush thing is the absurdity that you know these flying saucer occupants would travel uh across galaxies and come here to study humans and then they would crash land like you know like on i-95 or something but yeah i was thinking about that as well that you know if there are these quote unquote crash retrieval programs or biologics, these things would have been seeded intentionally. Right. Or like they're not even real. Like, or, I mean, it's kind of hard to at least wrap my mind around. Like they're not really aliens. They're like this weird manifestation of a mythology or something like they're at ports. Yeah, right. They're the, they're, no, it's like that's that's the thing too is the the UFO is is a literal apport in that so right, often right. they they disappear and they evaporate and they're here for this short period of time. Yeah, and like it feels like maybe someone like warned them like not to go to Earth and like mess with this like in like the classic Star Trek sense or whatever, but maybe something different than that and then they decided well we're going to do it anyway and then Oh no, you know, they, they they crashed and that's like what created humanity or something, you know. That's like so much of what the trickster myths are like is there's uh the book starts with uh the author's writing with these like native guys that picked him up when he was hitchhiking, and one of them starts telling him the this coyote story where I forget who it is, but someone tells the coyote or the coyote sees somebody throwing his eyes into a tree and leaving them like for a while. And he was like, I want to know how to do that. And so the guy was like, okay, I'll teach you how to do it, but you can't do it more than four times in one day or they won't come back because the eyes would fly back when he tells them to come back. And so of course the coyote does it four times. And then, so the eyes don't come back. And, and so this is like both at the same time, like an explanation of why the coyotes have these certain types of eyes I forget exactly how it goes. And I guess I shouldn't even be telling this story because part of the story of that story is that trickster tales are are like, I guess they're almost like objects or something that are brought mm-hmm. out in a certain time for a certain purpose. They're, uh, they're used, you know, intentionally. So, but I mean, he put it in the book, so it's not my fault. But um, yeah, just this like this hubris or like this, like this, idea that 
boundaries don't matter to like a to this figure and so they will always cross the boundary if one is set there because that's where they thrive is sort of debating where the boundary lies um and something like i feel like there's something about that to the ufo thing about bound boundaries but also uh, I don't want to say liminality, but I guess you have to like mm. something coming in, in while, from actually. outside. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So some, something like from outside the circles of time. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> from the outer gateway, like something coming in. Yeah, and and so there is a, a tricksteriness to that something that comes from elsewhere. Because if there's a boundary, somebody or something set that boundary for a reason and crossing it is sort of a an act of, you know, it's night, denial. Night side. Of, of, yeah. It's like a night side taboo. Right. Yeah. It is a, it's a taboo breaking to, I don't know, like, yeah. There's, it's all it's interesting to look at it from this though from this angle for sure um i think it's a, it's actually a really healthy angle to approach um and you yeah, know when sure. you when you look at the, the the idea of the psychoid as well um i've heard it described as um being the event you know beyond the event horizon of the mind of the self so hmm. within that um you know, Jung said that synchronicity is the principle of the unique cases that compose the whole of reality. So if the psychoid exists um, at the mouth of the black hole, then when you get closer to the event horizon, uh, like we imagine with black holes, the supposed stretching of space and time, um, you kind of get that hyper state of synchronicity as you're approaching mm. the archetype. Um, so there is this kind of like this strange closeness to like the, the deterministic like ch- events that created the universe existing in synchronicity. And that when you get closer to this like phenomenal state of the psychoid, um, there is this kind of like ramping up of synchronicity and stuff like that. Um, so huh. yeah, I mean, I, I think we could expand upon that, but we're I, I hate to cut it short, but <laughs> under the uh, yeah, can we? I don't know, can we? Next time, uh, I think I think we'll hop over to Patreon now. So this is a good time to uh, check out Patreon.com/slash/ConsensusUnreality for just five bucks a month. Tons and tons of exclusive stuff over there. It's where we do most of our work. So check that out, and we're gonna continue on after the short break. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that was a really, really long break. Yeah, it was crazy. It wasn't even short. It was a I, long break. I took a new lease on life during that break. Now I think that uh, AI is good. Yeah. You, you, like, there's kind of a funny thing with the the Grush thing too, and the the crash retrieval and quote-unquote biologics um and obviously like the artifacts that are left in cellular